Are we on? Good morning. It's good to be here with you again. Um, in this last, second to last sermon on the book of Revelation. So if you're new today, we've been marching through the book of Revelation, and uh, we invite you in and to, to experience the journey with us. And I hope it's been a good series uh, for you. Just uh, behind the scenes, I've been one of the few people plotting for about a year now to have this. So I've been proud and glad that we've done this together. So and I hope you feel the same. Um, so we are in a section. We're, we're sort of landing this plane of, of this whole book of Revelation. We're, we're turning a corner. We've been in a lot of the judgment stuff, and we're turning this corner, as you've seen in the verses, towards something very hopeful. But I wanted to open just with a brief story. Um, for years and years now, since university, I've had a recurring nightmare. Um, thank you, public education. And this, in this nightmare, I find myself in you know, the end of the semester, the final exam period, and there's a diff couple different versions. Either I've registered for a course that I didn't know and I've never attended, or there's an exam that I didn't know I needed to write and I am not prepared. Has anyone else had this dream? You, see, it's not just me. Uh, I was actually was listening on a podcast and a guy shared the same dream and I almost drove off the bridge. I don't know. And so the, the whole theme is, I won't graduate. I'm, I'm not complete. Actually, I won't. I'm going to fail at life. So I don't know what it is. It's actually very funny that several have had this dream. Because <laughs> I think there's something about this life where we, we, we fear the critical final moment. We fear that we don't have what it takes. We fear. Okay. And so I'm aware, as we've been going through Revelation, that it's a book that has and can strike fear in us. Um, there's a lot of cultural baggage, I think, uh, that leads us to that. I think um, different types of teaching, different ways the Bible has been read, God can be represented as a real killjoy. Um, we can fixate on some version of the end of the world, of fire and brimstone. We can read book series like Left Behind. What I'm encouraging us to do this morning as we come towards the end is to remember Jesus. In fact, the whole book of Revelation has been narrated by Jesus, showing this series of visions. Then I saw, then I saw, then he's showing the church what to see. So let's remember as we go through this, let's remember the direction of salvation that this book has been about. God wins. That's the big theme. God wins. Let's remember that sacrificial love is part of that. Let's remember that Jesus the Lamb has secured victory for His people. Let's remember that God has gone to great lengths through the whole sweep of Scripture to secure salvation. And let's trust God's loving character who wants to seek and to save the lost. So judgment. Two weeks ago when I, was, when I spoke, I spoke a little bit about trying to reframe it and to reframe it, we, we need to accept that this loving and good God with great plans has the right and the desire and the need to judge rightly. But do we trust the character of this God? And when I spoke about it a couple weeks ago, I said, let's use the word actually determination. So God needs to determine. This holy God is determining what and who belongs to Him. 
and, and, and He wants to determine what's been good and what is good, and that's awesome. But at the same time, the same holy and good God needs to determine what and who is aligned against Him in His world, what is evil. So in fact, judgment is good news. Judgment is God putting the world right again, and we all long for it. So just backing up briefly, in chapter 18, we saw God speaking judgment against Babylon, the evil city, the evil systems of our world. In chapter 19, Susan spoke well about uh, Jesus returning, the rider on the white horse, to, to judge the armies and the people who've aligned against him, together with the beast and the false prophet. And in fact, it wasn't a battle, because the followers were dressed in white as worshipers, and Jesus was completely victorious. And in the, the verses we, are, we haven't read and we haven't seen, Satan himself is judged and finally thrown into the fiery lake. So the it's an interesting picture, but you have this unholy trinity, the beast, the false prophet, and Satan himself completely destroyed. So today's passage, we, we need to look at it, and we get to look at it. So we're going to remember that the context of these passages is the early church, these seven churches that Jesus is speaking to and saying, I'm with you, and I know you. I, I see your suffering but I also see your temptation to compromise and join society. So today we're going to focus the whole passage, if you have your Bible or your phone, the whole passage actually starts in 20 verse 11 and goes to 21 chapter uh, verse 8. But we're going to focus on uh, chapter 21 verse 1 to 7. Part of the reason to do that is, in fact, the literary style. It's a, it's a Bible writing style called chiasm. We don't use it in our, our styles of writing now, but it's in our styles of writing, the conclusion is at the end. So you'd expect the conclusion of this passage to be 21 verse 8. But if you look at on either side, you have a focus on judgment. It's like a sandwich. So those are the pieces of bread. But the meat in the middle is 21 verse 1 to 7. It's this awesome passage that's uplifting, that's positive, that's attractive. So here we go. We're going to have a biblical sandwich this morning. So as we get to 21 verse 1, John is saying, as Jesus shows him, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So what's going on? Let's, let's look at this. When I looked up the word new, it's used in many places through the Bible. For example, when Jesus talks about new wine, when Jesus is, says he's got, or people say he's got new teachings with authority. So the word means recently made, fresh, unused, uh, novel, uncommon, unheard of. A theologian like N.T. Wright would say something like this. He would talk about uh, this could mean a renewed heaven and earth, that the, that the new thing God is making out of heaven and earth is actually continuous with what we see around us. So if you've come to love the, the nature and the landscapes and the earth, the best parts of it, a guy like N.T. Wright would say, well, that's great because in the new heaven and earth, it'll be recognizable. You'll, you'll continue some of the things we've made as a culture and as a people. Other theologians would say, no, this newness means there's, there's a complete wiping away, a complete destruction, and something totally unheard of, totally unlike what we know now. So those are the ends of the spectrum. 
Um, I find myself with N.T. Wright in his camp and looking at the, the, the sin could not destroy actually what God made. It, it's ruined it to a degree, but God says, no, it's not completely destroyed. I'm going to renew it, make things new. And what's this about no sea? If, if, if there's any people who like swimming or sailing, like, what? I can't go to the beach. I can't sail. and I, I don't even want to go there. That's, it's not what it means, thankfully. See, throughout the Bible, the sea is a symbol for chaos. Um, when, when Jesus drove the swine into the sea and the, they had full of demons and they were destroyed, the sea is a picture of chaos. Um, at the beginning of creation, the, the Spirit is hovering over the sea, out of, over chaos, and He then makes form and, and life. So the fact that there's no sea here, Jesus is trying to say, there's that chaos in your world? Not anymore. In the new world I'm making, no more chaos. There's going to be peace. Then we move to verse 2, and he talks about a holy city coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed. So again, you might think, wow, that's quite, a, that's quite an engineering marvel to see, uh, bricks and mortar coming down out of the sky. But what's going on? Again, Jesus is speaking to people who live in these seven cities of Asia Minor, these cities built on corruption, on the, on the foundations of Babylon. And uh, in, in the Bible, uh, the bride and groom image is there throughout. And brides, uh, ancient cities were often personified as women. And so even in the earlier chapters, we've seen another woman portrayed. We've seen Babylon or Rome as, as a prostitute, a harlot. So here we see the contrast. We see God's holy city, that place we long to live as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And this whole thing about brides, again, it's throughout the Bible as an image for us, for God's people. So here we are at the end of all things, at the end of time, a wedding, joy, covenant. It's awesome. And it continues in verse 3 where he emphasizes and, and it says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be them with them and be their God. This is the return of Genesis, folks. If you remember back to the garden, that's what it was. God was with His people and strolling among the garden and among the creation. And then it was broken. But the whole theme throughout is God saying, I'm going to restore that. That's where we belong. We belong together. And this makes our faith different. Christianity, this following of Jesus, is very different. All other faiths have us striving and moving towards some far-off God. No, this story, the true story, we would say, is God has done His utmost to come back to be with us, to restore what was. And you see this all through the Old Testament in Exodus 25, 29. It was the whole point of the tabernacle. It says this, they have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Later, when the, the temple was built, Solomon's temple, it's, it's the same. That The whole point of it is God would dwell among the people and make a place where people could meet with Him. And then in the New Testament, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. John chapter 1. I will be their God, and they will be my people. 
So I hope that you hear that loud and clear, this, this great, awesome God saying, you are mine, and I am yours, and I want us to be together. So if, if that's a doubt you've had, I just pray that the Scripture would, would wipe that away and, and just believe, and God wants to be with us. He's for us. In verse 4, we get this comforting word, and I think it, it points us to where we're living now. And he says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The end of all suffering. Life is tough. And I think if we spent time going, sat in groups and talked person by person, you would tell each other stories of tears. Because life, we've all shared that. That's a shared experience. Life is full of tears. This book is telling us, hold on. A good end is coming. Good days are coming. When the old order, the things that have made us cry, are coming to an end. Where sadness has ruled, that's going to be done. So we can cling to this. And the early church was called to cling to this. Our church today is called to cling to this. Hold on. There's a day coming where Jesus himself will wipe away our tears. And I believe he does that now. If we, if we know him, we, we deepen our relationship with him, and that happens in the church as we are with each other, we wipe each other's tears. That's him as his church. So that's, that's now, and that's to come. And that's awesome. Again, verse 5 and 6, as we go on, it says this. He emphasizes him who said, seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Write this down for these words in case you doubt. These words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. He says, I'm making all things new. He doesn't say, I'm doing a shabby renovation to something, and I'll just kind of wire it together. See, Clans and I have moved into a new house, and we've actually, you know, behind things we've found, there's been a lot of things that have been patched together. So we're, we're hoping for a new, a new, this is good news. So the world <laughs> is going to be made new, not renovated, not patched together, made new, completely new in some way. And the invitation here is to fix our eyes and our trust on the one who says, I make all things new. We need to shift our focus off of the things that are old and ruined and sad towards the one, shift our, things off, our eyes off the things and shift our eyes to the one who makes things new. He says, I'm the alpha. I'm, he says, I'm the alpha, I'm the beginning. So this word alpha or beginning, arche, means the first cause. He says, I'm the first cause. I'm the reason for which everything began. And then he says, I'm the omega, or I'm the end, the telos. I'm the end goal of all things to which everything relates. So it's like he's saying this in, in this world that you live in now. He says, I'm the reason for everything to begin, and I'm the ultimate purpose, the ultimate purpose to which everything everyone is moving towards. So belonging to God, reflecting His image, living by His definitions of what's life and what's good, that's our goal. 
to do anything less is subhuman. We need to live into this. He, he refers to, he picks up this word. He says, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost. He's referring, one of the major places is Isaiah chapter 55. So I'm going to read a few verses just to sort of relate this end of the Bible word to something right in the beginning and in the middle of the Bible. In Isaiah's time, the prophet was speaking to the people of God in a time of great prosperity, but great injustice. A kingdom that had things together, but a kingdom that was forgetting their God. So again, much like the early church, the temptation of the early church. So he says, the prophet says this, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, the things that nourish you without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. So this is what he's talking about here and in Revelation is the stuff of the world. It's not the bread and it's not the wine that you need. The stuff you need for true life is in me. And I don't think in this whole life, I don't think we ever plumb the depths of what that means, but we need to keep pressing in and discovering what life really is, because that's his goal. Then when we skip a few verses down in Isaiah, there's this lovely theme that comes out. He says, after saying that, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Remember, he's speaking to a people who have been wicked and forgotten God. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and He will have mercy on them, and to our God, for He will freely pardon. So there we are in the Old Testament, where God has been accused of being this rough, killjoy God. And here we are in the New Testament, in Revelation, where, where judgment is feared. But we see this. God is saying to each person who is unrighteous and who is wicked, He says, turn to me. I want to have mercy on you. I want to pardon you but you need to turn to me. I'm the only one who can have mercy and pardon you. So we need to remember the character of this God is towards life, towards restoration, towards inclusion. And finally, in our back to our Revelation passage, we get to verse 7. To those who are victorious, they will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Repeat it again. So the victorious. So if you look at the book of Revelation, I found the word victorious seven other times. And guess what? It was one time for each of the seven churches. So remember those seven letters that where Jesus says, I know what you're going through, but press on, be victorious. So into their suffering and into their enticement to join the enemy, it's all about being victorious, by which he means choose allegiance with me. Be victorious as you overcome the suffering. Be victorious as you face the temptations. And in the face of everything, choose me. That's victory. Because Jesus has secured it. But we need to choose it. So that's what he's saying. Be victorious. Because to the victorious is given all that awesomeness which we spoke of and which Stephen will speak of next week, this final summation, this great uh, awesome end of Revelation. But now, 
as we've delved into the meat of the sandwich, we need to remember there's two pieces of bread on either side of the sandwich. So just briefly, we're going to turn our attention to verse, the verses immediately preceding, verse 11 to 15 of chapter 20. Because in this scene, which you've just heard, it actually starts out like this. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. And there I saw the, the dead, great and small, all standing before the throne. And books were opened. See, it's, it's like that final exam dream I kept having. Oh, this is it. This is it. But then another book was opened which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done and what was recorded in the books. The whole sea, all the dead were given up and each person was judged, determined, right? Determined what they had done. Had they chosen allegiance with the Lord? So the focus here, though it can seem dark, is this, this Lamb's book of life. There is these books of deeds that you could be judged by, but there's this book of life. And earlier uh, in Revelation, in chapter 3, it says, to the one who is victorious, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white, purity. I will never blot them, blot out their name of that person from the book of life, but I will acknowledge them before my Father and His angels. So into this judgment scene, this judgment day, these books opened, there's this book of life. This book that speaks of security uh, when we choose Jesus. This assurance of salvation when, we, when we're victorious and when we find ourselves in Him. The, the Scripture goes on to say, um, each person was judged according to what he's done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So that's good news. Uh, death itself is, is, is done away with. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is, this is the passage we really don't like. But again, let's remember the whole. Let's remember what's going on in the center of the passage. But in God's goodness, there has to be a path for those who are the sworn enemies of God. There has to be those, it seems to be, there's those who've constantly rejected the grace and love and don't want this path. They don't want there to be a Jesus uh, in, whom, in whose name you're saved. They want to do it themselves, or they want to reject all of that. So this, this, this whole topic of a lake of fire, or, or hell, or eternal separation from God, it's, it's a huge mystery. It's a huge debate, and um, we're not going to solve it this morning. But we, we need to just think about it for a moment. Uh, we're, we're, not, we're not offended when we see Satan or death or the beast thrown into it. We, you know, that's, that's great news. And it would have been great news for the early church. All that's evil is judged by this good God. But people, that, that some of God's children would also have some kind of eternal, eternal death or separation from God, we struggle. I struggle with that. Uh, if you have friends or family who you think, well, I don't know if they agree with this, does, does that mean that's where they're going? So we really struggle. But I think what we need to remember is if we struggle with this, doesn't God struggle with this? Remember the direction. He's, he's been longing for all to be saved. 
So if we struggle with this, imagine God's struggle to have punishment for his children. So we just need to remember the, the love of God in this whole thing. So that's the first part of the sandwich. This is the good news of the Lamb's book of life in the midst of some judgment. And then when we flip to the very end, 21 verse 8, it reads like this. So it's just talked in verse 7 about the thirsty. Those who are thirsty, they'll inherit all this awesomeness, all this goodness, all this life. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the sexually immoral, the murderers, those who practice magic arts, the liars, their place will be in that fiery lake. This is the second death. So again, these aren't there to say, oops, I, I, I had that cowardly thought, or oops, I, I had that sexually immoral moment in my life. No. This, again, re- it relates, it's the opposite of the thirsty, the victorious. It's an identity. So those who have chosen, they're the sworn enemies of God, they've chosen identity with all of this anti-God direction, there is an end. God needs to put an end to this. They do, have not, they do not want this salvation. So it's a, it's a list of identities. It's not a list of some kind of accidental sins or these things you could just kind of oops, stumble into. We need to put that aside as we think of Scripture and God's loving direction. So as I was finishing up preparing, I was actually, my mom and I were visiting, and we were just talking about how the tone of Revelation has been preached and I just a sort of a, maybe a pastoral note as we end, as we come to an end. I guess that perhaps if you're in the 50-plus category, I'm not going to take a show of hands, but you may have grown up in a church or heard a church message that caused you to fear going to hell. You may have had your salvation questioned, and you may have had a lot of doom and gloom. Again, no show of hands, but it's my guess if you're 50 plus, that has been the tone of some of the Christ, of Christendom. If you're in my age range, in the 30 to 50, you grew up in a slightly different time where maybe it was during high school or a youth group. There was a lot of end times anxiety. You may have heard of the Left Behind series of books that, that talk about a rapture for believers amongst some kind of atrocious war at the end of times. Very scary. If you're in the zero to 30 age, the youth and young adults age, in fact, you may have heard very little comforting or anything at all about the church, about the end times. It's like the church has gone silent about this book and about this whole chapter. However, your society, if you're young, has been beaming constant messages at you through movies, through media, about some kind of apocalyptic end. Maybe it's going to be climate change or a war or asteroids. Isn't that not true? So what's the common thread of all of these age groups? It's fear. It's fear. There's been fear projected about the end, this anxiety that for whatever God has been good, there's going to be something that's going to get us in the end that's negative. So if that's been your experience in the church or through any messaging For what it's worth, I just want to say sorry. We, as a church, have always fumbled along through history to to interpret this well, to hear God well. And I think we've gone off the rails uh, in in some of this teaching. Because as Revelation has taught us, this this wonderful conclusion to the end of our Bibles, which I have ignored up to a couple years ago, the whole goal is confidence. Remember? 
What's the theme? God wins. That's the whole theme. Jesus the Messiah is returning in victory. So instead of this fear of the end of the world, let's change our view and say, yeah, there's going to be an end of the current painful, sinful version of the world, but there's going to be an ushering in of the way it was meant to be. There's going to be God coming down to be with us, to restore all things. So this book, as we've gone through it, has not been about knowing and predicting the future. It's been about knowing God. It's been about knowing Jesus the Messiah alive. Remember at the very beginning, he, John says, I saw this, this figure among the lampstands, among the churches. So this Jesus who's among us is saying, I, I'm here to give comfort. I'm here to give confidence. So I guess as we come towards the end, my question to you, to us as the church, do we know the Lord like this? In the middle of, that, of all that we've gone through, in the middle of the world that we have, do we know, not just in our head, but at a heart level, at experiential level, do we know this comfort of this, this Jesus who's among us? So as we finish, I thought of three things, three things I want to send you home with. They, they won't appear there, but you can take note. So one of them is live thirsty. Live thirsty for God's victory. As we live in this world, as we go through this reality, just know that all will not be solved. That next politician, that next policy, that next, that next social justice movement, it won't solve it all. But there's a greater reality coming down. There's a greater reality, and we can bank on it. I know I do when I get discouraged. So in the face of evil, let's respond with love. In the face of darkness, let's not cave to fear, but let's remember the coming joy and the joy that's here now, but it's coming in its fullness. Let's remember life is what uh, it's all pointing towards. So that's number one, live thirsty for God's coming victory. Number two, I think the scripture, the whole theme of it implores us to hand over your tears. Life, as I said, life is full of tears. Let's not hide them. I know that's, that's hard. That can be hard, especially for some of us. But this Jesus, He wants us to come to Him, and He wants us to be unburdened. He doesn't want us to say, well, okay, I'll hold out for that future day, and He'll, he'll wipe them all at once. He will. But the promise is He's near now. He's saying, like, I'm, it's like I'm just behind a curtain waiting, waiting to meet you. So if we take him at face value, he says, let's start wiping those tears away. Let's move towards that wholeness. So in a moment, as we end, we're going to have prayer ministry. So if you, you know, in perhaps several scenarios, if you've been fearful of this message and you've been, you know, you've had a lot of baggage from the past, come and lay it down. Come and lay those tears down before the Lord. If, you go out, if you're going through or have gone through a number of, of things that have caused you tears, if you've doubted God's character, come, lay that down. Shed those lies. Shed that past pain. Come to Jesus. Hand over your tears. Thirdly, I think this message, the whole of the Bible, and particularly Revelation, implores us to tell others. We talk a lot about this at Granville Chapel. We talk about our one mission so whether or not you're a, a kid in school, they're upstairs. Whether or not you're a youth in high school, you're in university, you're, you're in adult life at work, you're a senior with friends in the neighborhood. Let's live 
as if this is critical news for others. Let's live as if salvation and this freedom is great news. Because I think, uh, I think people in the world are just coping. They're just kind of coming up with their own versions of what will save them, what will heal them, what will wipe away their tears. And I think we can tell them about Jesus. I had a, I had a moment on a plane, and I, just, I don't often do this, but just a really nice young lady. Uh, we were chatting, and we got, and I just preached Revelation, so somehow that came up. She had no idea what Revelation was about. But she just talked about all the, all the sort of the finances and the, the types of spirituality that her and her friends are trying, but it's not working. And so I, you know, in a, in a, in a sort of way, I, I talked a bit about Jesus, and, and I talked about wholeness and that love is at the center of the universe. She was so intrigued, and she said, you know what? Actually, my parents, they did give me a, a children's Bible when I was young, so I, mean, I encouraged her to go back to it, and I don't know what will come of it, but I think people are waiting for good news. So this message, this revelation message is that God loves us. God is fighting for you. And God loves your neighbors and is fighting for them. And you may be the messenger of this message to them. You may be the one, the, the representation of Jesus. Because a door has been opened in heaven, but we need to choose to enter. All people need to make that choice. And our choice in this life matters. So I'm going to end with prayer. And then I'm going to invite the prayer ministry forward, and I'm going to invite the band forward. So let me just uh, close us off in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, you've given us this word to travel through, and you've said that whoever would read these words would be blessed. And sometimes it's been hard to see how these words, particularly of Revelation, could be a blessing. So I just want to pray for our community that we shed the fear and that we grab the, the central message of joy and confidence, and that we want to find ourselves in your kingdom. We want to find ourselves, if we haven't already, with our name written in your book of life. That's the only way that, that we can come through and be part of your victory. So, Lord, give us victory and give each one victory as they live this week and as they tell others. In Jesus' name, amen. So, prayer ministers, I invite you forward.